Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 384 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chat to James Patterson of Hyper Productions about their lefty-righty shoot-em-up Hyper 5. I like shoot-em-ups, and this one caught my eye as I was just scrolling through Twitters as one does. Or doom-scrolling, as many people call it, although for me, most of my feed is taken up by pictures of cats and shoot-em-ups, apparently. And this one really, 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 really caught my eye. So I delved into it, found out about it, played it, enjoyed it quite a lot. So I reached out to Jamie and said, could you have a, you know, do you want to come on the show and chat about the design and development of Hyper 5? And he agreed. Hence this show. Because that's how it works. Sometimes. Not all the time. But it did work this time like that. So, should we listen to me? from the past, talk about this very interesting lefty-righty game, because, lefty-righty shooter game, I should say, because it does raise some questions about the design of these and how one goes about, well, warning a player of impending doom. And this game has a very interesting way of coping with that. So, Chris, do enlighten us. James. Hi, Chris. Who are you? What do you do? So, hi. My name is Jamie Patterson. I am the uh, developer of a video game called Hyper 5. That's uh, my passion, if you like. But during the day, I work for a computer vision company. So I am, uh, by day, uh, a, um, a humble computer vision software programmer. But by night, I am an uh, indie development force, a studio of one. <laughs> nice, nice. That's um, it's quite a remarkable, isn't it? Over the last ten, no correction, fifteen years now, maybe more. I think the big turning point was two thousand and six, two thousand and seven, when um, Xbox Live Arcade 
came into being and the iPhone arrived and then all of a sudden there was these platforms or high-level languages that you could use and tools and libraries that you could use that reduces the barrier of entry of game creation. And uh, I think everyone, everyone has reaped the rewards from that. I always point to Hotline Miami, the first one, and go, see, that was made (laughs) using Game Maker alone. There you go. So, you know, it's uh, you don't you no longer need to use assembly or hit the metal (laughs) to make your video games unless you're programming for the NES for reasons best known to yourself. Good luck with that. Which there are there are developers who currently do that. I'm sure you know that, especially in the shmup fraternity. There are, yes, extraordinary things happening in the older platform. Um, genre, but uh, yeah, there, well, there certainly are. There's there's mm. guys developing for SNES hardware yeah. in the various yeah. forums, and I salute them. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you got like the um, the Mister and stuff that's helping with that because you know, people don't have those hardware, but they've got these other dev- platforms. Who like yeah, I can still play these games on these on these things. Sure. But next question then: How did you make a start making flashy lighty video games? That's a good question. Um, I suppose there's two aspects of that from a purely practical point of view. How did I do it? Mm. And I guess a, a, perhaps a bigger, more philosophical question is why. <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of how, uh, back in sort of 2015, I uh, said, okay, I'm going to give it a try. I downloaded Unity. Yep. And uh, I started making a game and uh, I completely failed. Uh, I couldn't make it get work at all. You know, I, uh, you know, I said, I'm a smart guy. I can figure all this out. I'll make a simple game. I was going to go for, I think it was a pinball game, you know, and I did my little cuboid for the table. I made some little cuboid walls and I made a little round cylinder puck. And uh, the puck just dropped straight through the pinball table. And I kind of swore at the computer a few times, fiddled with the physics settings and gave up. Oh, and that wow. was my first <laughs> That was my first entry into making a game. Yeah. yeah. Um, fa- fast forward um, to 2017 and I said, right, this time I'm going to do it right. Uh, so I, I downloaded Unity again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this time I followed a tutorial. Right. Uh, which, you know, I said, well, I'm going to make a, a, a lefty-righty shooty game. Mm-hmm. And I found a, a uppy-downy shooty game uh, shmup uh, template. Called, yeah. I think it was just called Space Shooter or something like that. Nice. Very imaginative title. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it does what it says on the tin, right? Yeah. And um, I followed the tutorial. And by following the tutorial, I guess the key point is it introduced me to some of the key parts of how Unity works. And perhaps most importantly, at the end of, you know, it was a couple of hours of following the tutorial, I had, you know, the basics of a shoot-em-up game. I could move left and right. I had a spaceship. I had bullets. I had explosions. I had aliens. I think there were rocks, actually. But, but it doesn't really matter. The point is I could blow them up. And I said, do you know what? Maybe I really could make a game. Right. And um, then I sort of started making the game, basically. Mm. Um, you know, if you look in the Unity project um, for my, for Hyper 5, if you look closely enough, the main character ship is still called Vehicle Player Ship. And that is what it was called in that tutorial. I probably ought to change the name <laughs> of that prefab at some point. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it really, in terms of a practical entry point to making it, the difference between trying to figure it all out from scratch versus starting with a tutorial was night and day for me mm. because it established that you know maybe I really could use this tool to to make the game I wanted to make. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, 
couple of times people have said to me, hey, how do you get started? And I always say, you know, start with a, a decent tutorial to explain the basics because, you know, people worry about coding, they worry about graphics, but you have to understand how the engine itself works, how it conceptually ties together. What is a game object? What is a transform? What's a rigid body? And unless you've done that, then, you know, it all makes a lot of sense once you've had it explained to you. But it's very difficult to kind of get all these things connected together just by looking at the documentation. So, yeah, I started off by following a tutorial. Um, yeah. So is it Unity second... and C Sharp that you managed to smash? Yeah, so, so, yeah. The, so the game is made in Unity. Mm. Um, the scripting language is C Sharp, yeah. uh, which is, you know, I, I'm fairly, I'm, I'm what you might term a poly, polyglot. So oh, I okay. code in lots of different languages. Mm-hmm. Um, I've coded, uh, there's also a, a number of different shaders uh, used, you know, graphic GPU shaders used in the game. So I've taken little bits of shader code from different places and kind of glommed that mm. together as well. Mm. Um, I'm not really using any of the sort of really modern, more fancy Unity technologies like ECS and DOTS. And I'm actually using Unity 2018. Nice. Um, right. I probably will move to a more recent version of Unity at some point. Mm. Um, and that's really because um, for my game, I, you know, I didn't see a lot of benefit of, of changing engine. And whenever you sort of move to the newest, shiniest, there's always some bits that are better, some bits are worse. So, you know, best to stick with what you know once you've got a, a route to, to delivery, if you like. Mm, mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I worked, um, I didn't really show it to the world for quite a long time. Um, because I wasn't sure if I was going to really have the time to finish it to the standard I wanted. Right. You know, I, I think I was probably working on it for at least two years before I even got a Twitter account and certainly before I sent it out to anyone, you know, because right. it is a big time commitment, you know, um, yeah. to make something like that. You know, cards on the table, I've leveraged quite a few third-party assets across the board to, to realize it. Mm. But, you know, even if you start with a stock spaceship or something, you have to customize it and modify it. You know, the space, you know, I bought a little spaceship. There you go. Well, now I need it to explode. So I've got to make the thing fall apart. I need mm. it to have damage effects. And now I've got to repaint the texture to, you know, it, it needs boosters. So now I need little animated effects for the booster rockets on it. And all of these different things all add up. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and people have noticed this stuff. They like it. Yeah. This, 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 this level of detail is important. And I still remember when I think, think of a spaceship exploding, one of the best games that did it back in the day was Free Space 2. That was amazing because uh-huh. you had all these sparks flying across the surface of the ship just before yeah. it exploded. It was great. Like, it's it's about to go. It's, I'm going to leave before I get blown up myself. <laughs> Fantastic game. But, yeah, I, I definitely I, I get the impression there's a bit of bit of like nod to that. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. good game. But, yeah. I think, uh, I think there might be a little hint of Michael Bay inside yeah. somewhere you know i like yeah. big explosions and robots yeah you know? all, all you needed is someone walking away from an explosion and you're laughing but yeah yeah well i've got a few <laughs> spaceships flying away that's true <laughs> that works that is true yeah um so i mean uh i guess the other part to answer your question yeah, is, yeah. is 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 why mm. and i guess fundamentally that that comes down to there's a little bit of michael bay in me somewhere you know right um that little kid you know, back when, you know, so, I, so you know, um, I, I won't tell you my precise age, but, no. you know, mid 40s, let's gotcha. say. Yeah. So, so I grew up, um, you know, with a ZX Spectrum. Yeah. Uh, move on to Commodore Amiga. 
uh, and then on to various PCs and consoles mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. But the, the games that in those early days that really moved me were shmups. What we they were called shoot 'em ups then. They were. And yeah, somebody yeah. came up with the term shmup, but that's yep. that's fine. That's you know, <laughs> and um, you know there was a, a game that I played which was a Defender clone when I was like five. Um, and then it was uh, R-Type on the ZX Spectrum. So amazing port. Amazing yeah. port. More it's accident a, than design, but it's still an amazing port. It's a really good book that, yeah. that, 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 that the, the programmer wrote about his experience. you know. And that was one of the motivating factors for me to get off, off my ass again and actually mm. give it a try. You know, I read yeah. that book and said, wow. You know. And then uh, the reason I bought a Commodore Amiga was uh, Xenon 2 by the Bitmap, Bitmap Brothers. Yeah, there's a game. Yep, it's doesn't. And, it's, it's not the greatest shoot 'em up in reflection, is it? Hey, well, hey, it's very pretty because it's a classic bitmap. I always preferred the first one over the second, if I may. You started this, James. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I I think it was a game that perhaps you know it, it excelled in the graphical department. Oh but yes. that, yeah, there were a few. You know, again, that's the reason I bought an Amiga. Once mm. I had the Amiga and I played the game, then. You know, yeah. it, it was a good game. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It was it was spectacular, mm. and it and it created a it, it lit up my imagination. Yeah, just like yeah. R Type did before that, and and before that, this I think the game was actually called Penetrator. Actually, yes, yeah. yes, that was which had, you could make your own maps and stuff. It's exactly, great. yeah, yeah, and you great. put all these alien. If you put enough aliens, and I think the whole thing would crash. Totally, but... <laughs> yeah, of course it did because they ran out of RAM and stuff. Yeah, yeah, ran out of everything. Yeah, it's just like I can't do this. I'm only got forty eight. Okay, come on, give me a break. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I'm not elite for God's sake. Go on, carry on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was magic. Elite was magic. We all know that, but yeah. Well, yeah, there was the black magic going on there. Yeah, yeah. That work. But the um, but the the point is they you know they really caught my imagination. Mm. You know, as as a you know as a, a you know a boy stroke young man. You know, and one of the bits of feedback I've had from friends who've seen the progression of the game. You know, old school chums on Facebook. You know, one of them literally said, "Hey." Uh, you're living the dream, Jamie. This was, you know, when you were 10, you know, you were into making games on the ZX Spectrum, and, but yeah. you never quite got it out there. But now, you know, you're finally achieving that goal, you know. Mm. Yeah. And so I I guess, you know, to come full circle, it's something I've always wanted to do. Right. And, uh, you know, and, you know, to some extent now I have. You know? yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. And, it, and it, it, it's been an incredible journey, mm. you know, to, to do that. Um you know, I've learned a lot along the way. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's it's been a great thing to do. Absolutely. It was some of the earliest games I ever played as a child outside of Pong. Pong was my <laughs> first one. It genuinely was. Right. Uh, beyond that, it was definitely, I do remember Space Invaders and I do remember Star Wars, which is uh-huh, a different yeah. beast entirely. And, of yep. course, Lunar Lander, which people don't really talk about nearly enough, in my humble opinion. <laughs> that game is bonkers. <laughs> It's like, you know, this game should not sell. No one should put any coins in it. But they did buy the bajillions yep. uh, yeah, yeah. because, you know, it's basically thrust. All right. Let's say. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's space, isn't it? Space. Yeah. Because it's a black screen. They didn't have to yep. render anything. It was just, I don't know, just black. There you go. Just don't have to worry about it. Perfect. The, the, you know. Clear the frame buffer and put some dots and you've got a star field, that's right? It, that's it. Yeah. You're laughing. I mean, you know, and then it bled into the spectrum because to this day, I always joke about this and I'll get on to the next question. But the first game I played on my Xbox Series X, because I 
got it on launch day for reasons of yep. because I'm a journalist because I need it. You know, it's like the, the first game I played was Jetpack. Really? Cause it, yeah, because it was a it's a great game, and B mm. I thought it was funny to play to <laughs> to play a forty year old game on a one day old console. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was going to mention Jetpack specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's that just like cool it's sixteen kilobytes of joy. And yep. uh, I've said it before on the show, but then then I went over to play Assassin's Creed Valhalla because I needed to show it. Really, you know, just be sensible here. Let's let's, let's see it in its best. Oh wow! <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I certainly did that with that game, apart from the yeah the animations. Anyway, moving swiftly on, um, I'm going to ask you your next question, which you probably answered a little bit as well. But uh, let's delve into this. What do you believe, as a creator, are your biggest influences? Okay. Um, I mean, in the context of Hyper 5, the game mm. I've made, then I've already yeah. mentioned a couple of specific games, so you know I won't dwell on that. But obviously, games like our type, so Gradius, uh, Einhander, um, there were certain older specy games as well. So Cybernoid, which was a flip screen uh-huh. uh, game um, rather than scrolling, but again, you were a little spaceship moving around. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of game, basically. And I think the, the other sort of big influence is, I mean, you'll see, you know, from the game itself, I've described it as a cinematic shmup. Yeah. Um, you know, and there isn't like a huge complex story or anything like that. But, um, you know, I like games which have a sort of cinematic aspect to them where you feel like you're part of an, you know, an engaging story, you know, rather than there's level one, there's level two, there's level three. You know, I, I, I kind of like having a kind of thread to it, even if it's a, a very simple story you know there's an alien you know you investigate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i guess i've taken influence from those kinds of games you know and uh, i suppose a pet sort of um it's a silly sort of thing but i take pleasure in the fact that nothing's pre-animated in my game so it's all in game engine and i, I can remember you know at various stages of console experience looking at games and whenever there was something pre-rendered i went ah <laughs> Those guys weren't smart enough to make it one run real time on that hardware, so they pre-baked it. Duh. Yeah. So nothing, yeah. nothing's pre-rendered. <laughs> no, no, no I do, I do remember that big change. When was yeah. it though? It could have been 360, but I think it's more. Maybe. I think it was the last generation where it really went. Yeah, we're not going to really do that much in pre-renders anymore because, you know. I think we can, rare. Do this, we can do this pretty rare these days. But you're right. I think, you know, Tomb Raider was pretty prone to that, for example. Um, still a bit of a favourite, but you're right, you know. Um, but uh, also, I, I, I'm going to say it. I'm not sure if you remember this as a kid, because we're kind of the same age, but a little bit older. But do you remember the show Starfleet? Do you remember that? Do you remember that show? Uh, Rings of Bell. Yeah, it had a massive robot in it. It's just yeah. looking up on YouTube because some of the uh, some of the models in there, there's definitely reeks of Starfleet. There might be some subconscious there. Like I remember this as a as a wee nipper, but I can barely remember it. So it's just like fed into the design. It just made me smile because I remember <laughs> Starfleet as a kid, and it was great. It's nothing to do with Star Trek, by the way. It's just called Starfleet. Brian May did the theme tune. It was great. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> but it's I will weird, check it out. <laughs> it was this weird Japanese puppet show, and it was just bonkers. But people really like it. And I don't know why, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're, there is a sense of um, you know joy about Hyper Five, which mm. you know, and I do get the impression that that's one of your things that you just want to like. It's okay to be you know 
have a bit of levity about things. You don't have to be so po-faced about everything. And there's yeah. definitely some satire going on in there, which is lovely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it, you know, it's kind of like, you know, from a... Um, it's kind of a B movie sci-fi really, isn't it? You know, it's, yeah. kind of, it's kind of kitsch. There's a lot of, you know, it's not, I mean, I think internally within the context of itself, it takes itself seriously. Yeah. But I think if you sort of step back from it and say, well, hang on, wait a minute, <laughs> why would this spaceship fly off? Yeah. I mean that, you know, so, you know, it, it, it's not a, uh, a plot line that survives a collision with reality or any kind of sensible, um, but you know, that, but that's fine because the you know it, it's about you know if you look at a lot of the games of this genre you know they didn't really have to make a lot of sense you know it was a ship against this you know huge enemy of unknown origin yeah you know and it and it's always a, you know a battle of an individual fight you know there's only one fighter left that can defeat the enemy well that's kind of ridiculous why you know why wouldn't you why have you, you got, got have, one. Yeah. Why have you only got one? You know, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, so, Uridium, Uridium did have a story that you were like a small ship taking on these big, like, hulking ships because they couldn't track you. That was that the was idea. A cool game. But that was, yeah, that was, uh, but there's, yeah, they, they really didn't do the playtesting on the old difficulty on that one, did they? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I, I think I got quite a way through that. You, know, you I do once the... you figure it out because the game's all about sound. People didn't realise yeah. that. But you're just going to keep shooting in front of you. If you hear a certain change of tone, go dunk, 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 like, oh, I'm about to hit something, you just dive out of the way. That's how yeah, I used yeah. to play it or still do to this day. You know, always like, because you can't remember all the dreadnoughts. You just can't. I remember the first four and then I kind of forget. But anyway. I, I don't know if I I think I might have done the first three I, I yeah. can't tell you but yeah it's I think it was a game that did get progressively harder yes and yes. I think I think a big thing that's different with gaming now mm. is people ex- generally expect either a completely open-ended experience or they expect to finish you know yeah. I mean yeah. um, you know most sort of story arc type games most of them get finished by people. They're designed, you know, sort of like Last of Us Two, or even, even I think Returnal, which was an interesting game to play. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, there is an expectation the player is going to get all the way through. Yeah. Obviously, if it's a completely open world thing. Well, it, it never really ends. But mm. whereas back then, you know, I think there was, you know, there was not that many people finished that many games. They were tough. You know, yeah. when you died, you went right back to the start. You did, and, yeah. and people didn't really question that. No, you because know. it was like coin munching, because that's how it works. Yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how games work. I'm dead yeah, or I'll yeah, just yeah. play it again. You know? yeah, Whereas I think yeah. that attitude has changed completely. You know, it is. It's, and it's there were some thing. games from that era, again, mentioning Elite, which is why they almost couldn't get it published, because it didn't follow that model. Like, no one wants to play this endless nonsense. How wrong, of course, they were, yeah. pointing at GTA, and it's this multi, <laughs> multi-trillion dollar now, I think, I'm going to say that, uh, enterprise that uh, mm-hmm. has been feeding itself. So, yeah, how wrong Thorny and I were. But anyway. There we go. Really, really, really good, uh, really good sort of history. And, like, yes, you're right. It's There's lots of feeding into there. But I definitely, you definitely got an idea of where you're coming from. So the next question. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Who do you oh, point that's... to and say, you there, you carry on? Could be a company or a person, or both. Good question. Mm. Um, I mean, for sheer spectacle and just always pushing the cutting edge of what can be possible, I'd have to point to Naughty Dog, <laughs> um, yes. which are not—they don't make shmups. 
that maybe no. they should make one hint hint um, <laughs> but um you know whenever they've whenever a new platform has come out you i mean for example you know i'm, I'm a playstation guy i bought a playstation 5 i haven't yet seen you know uncharted on playstation 5 but when it is released i will absolutely guarantee i, I will bet anything it will have the best technical graphics of any game ever made end of story it will wow. look better than anything else that i'll place that bet right now mm. when uncharted 4 came out yeah it looked better than anything i'd ever seen anywhere i mean mm. in terms of the the level of realism certain shots basically photorealistic mm. you, know, you couldn't really tell that it was a, a cg animation at all um obviously i've seen you know unreal engine 5 demo and that looks great but uncharted you know five or whatever it might be that they come out with i think it you know i i always look forward to their releases because i i always see that graphical bar being raised above and beyond mm. that which i thought would be possible yeah you know that yeah. that's my personal view other people obviously might feel otherwise mm-hmm. um i look forward to doom releases doom <laughs> 3 was obviously a bit of a low point but i was very excited about doom 2016 and it, it delivered, and yeah. the, the follow-up Doom Eternal was also good as well. So you know, it's returned to form, if you like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So actually, I guess you know those guys again, you know, have done really well within that genre to bring back a fast-moving action um, game. Mm. And then I think, I mean, obviously, you're expecting me to comment on on you know shoot 'em ups and my favorite developers there. All time is RM. You know, um, although it was controversial, I think. I thought Granzella did a good job with R-Type Final 2. I enjoyed okay. playing that. Yeah. You know, I think maybe a lot of people, maybe we'll touch on this, but it played like an R-Type game. And I think actually a lot of people who play shoot 'em ups now like bullet hell games, which play quite differently. They're a different type of shmup, very yeah. different, really. It's a side-scrolling, um, non-bullet hell traditional shoot them up which actually probably certainly within the dedicated communities i would say is his i wouldn't say it's fallen out of favor but it, you know generally vertical bu- bullet hells seem to be hugely popular mm. um the uh, i think the the guy behind cruelty um cruelty squad is making one of those now so okay. there'll be a whole bunch of people playing that i'm sure and saying it's gonna be made i expect it probably will be a good game mm. um but he's making a vertical bullet hell and that seems to be where a lot of the interest lies now. So actually, really, it's quite a departure from that in that it basically plays like an old school, you know, side-scrolling game yeah. of 1985, you know, just with mm. much better graphics, of course. Yeah. Um, I do know that the PlayStation 2 had some, and 3, but 2 had some really good up yeah, and down yeah. lefty-righty shooters like the Gradius series and... Mm-hmm. Although I still called it Nemesis for years. <laughs> because yeah. that's what it's called for us, you know. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. Regionalization, I think. Yeah, it was, yeah. Because I had a friend of mine who had uh, had an MSX, which I do have now. And cool. uh, we had like he had a stack of cartridges that he kept on getting from Tottenham Court Road. There's this one shop that sold them. And they're all Konami. This is back in the day yeah. we used to make games. And you know, we we played Yi Kung Fu. That port was amazing on the MSX, but Nemesis, one of my first lefty-righty shooters, real left. I call it the real sort of like 
foundational ones because prior to that they were like you could you could argue scramble yes granted yeah but i think it gets a bit dull after about 10 minutes you go i think I, it's not really okay it's kind of similar it's, it's kind of similar yeah. isn't it it gets yeah, a bit yeah. faster and more gets, difficult but it, it does yeah. yeah and defender is another thing entirely i'm not sure what it is That's which a, is great sometimes left sometimes right sometimes yeah. lefty righty sometimes righty lefty and mutants <laughs> and then things exploding because you went too fast because that's the game um but with you know when it comes to more traditional more classical ones i think really gradius that and then our type and those kind of like late 80s kind of experience mm-hmm. that's for me where it fermented itself and then we had the you know this but you know uh you're right there's, there's some wonderful um developers of that and it's, it's really good that you pointed to them and go yes what they're doing i've learned from as best i can whilst adding my own take on things because that's what you're you have every right to do that because you created it you know mm-hmm. rather than slavishly follow and try to mimic that never works does it because when you try to copy you know the the spirit of something almost you can't pull it off you yeah. don't have that there's an an, an unknown an indecipherable or the difficult to glom onto thing extra thing that you don't have because you're not you know you're not them you're not a, a studio that's been working for 40 years you know so and it's it's just it's a skill it's like any art or science mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, it's unfair to say, oh yeah, this one's just... no, it just doesn't work that way. You know, there's, there's that plethora. Ever since Mario sixty four came out, all of a sudden there's loads of three D platformers came out. Think I can do that, and you go, no, no, not as no, good anyway. No, <laughs> no, you can't, can you? I, I played Gex. Yeah, I'm looking at yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um, sure. you know it's you, you're right. I mean. I I look at those games from from my from my own childhood, my yeah. own path, and yeah. I, you know I I feel that influence obviously, mm. and I've reflected that in my in the game I've made. Yeah. And you can see obviously if you compare my game to other game, you know it's very notably not a bullet hell. It's very notably a horizontal scrolling shooter. I think there are a few things that would you know that I've done which are more modern, structurally modern. Um. But yeah, if it is anything, then it is a throwback to those 80s, early 90s games where I think the big, you know, for me, the big difference is there are shoot 'em ups. In the early shoot 'em ups, it was about shooting things. In a bullet hell, it's actually mostly about dodging things. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really matter where you fire. I mean, you can, there, there are things like bombs and you have to time, you know, when you press it to, to you know, there's a huge load of bullets on the screen and it's like, if I don't press the bomb, then I'm definitely going to get hit. So there is a timing aspect. It does matter when you hit those specials. But actually, your individual shots, you're just going to hold the button down or sometimes, you know, wide shot, narrow shot, that kind of thing. And it's mostly about just don't get hit. There's there's a huge pattern of bullets coming at you and you kind of have to thread the needle. Yeah. And I, I can understand why people enjoy that. You know, there's a hypnotic quality to it. Mm. But it's not what I wanted to make. No. It's not what yeah. I enjoyed playing, you know, in my youth no so i so i didn't no i, I made fair. a game you know, yeah like i wanted to make because i would, for, for a little while someone very quickly corrected me i had this memory going was was gradius bullet hell no 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 it wasn't. <laughs> no, no no what it was it did have very small and slow moving bullets that was yeah. weird but that was it there's quite the same yeah. thing 
So yeah, yeah. It's it's not like a kind of live maze of bullets everywhere. No, where, it was basically know, you... position you versus enemy, and they would occasionally yeah. shoot you, and you yeah. could either dodge out the way or you had to, and then kill. <laughs> and, and and things like weak points and you know and yeah, and the, yeah. you know that you know the maps again so quite you know one of a significant difference between something like gradius and you know an r type is obviously interaction with the with the map mm. so you know, with hindsight you know i made a lot of hassle for myself by having a collidable terrain mm. you know and a number of people have said to me i don't like terrain collision i said well that's what those games used to be like. Yeah. like you know, if you, if you smash into a wall, it damages your ship, you know, and I've gradually reduced the amount of terrain damage you take so that now you can basically plow the nose of the ship into the ground for about 10 <laughs> seconds straight before you die. People still moan about it. They don't like terrain collision. But I mean, Have they not played that, Salamander? Come on. I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, so, you know, it, but that is part of it. I mean, I, you know, I don't have complex maze-like things. I mean, some no. of the levels in our type you have all these things moving around. You really can't kill. You've got to know no. where to go. No. So it's it's much less than that, but still, people don't. Again, yeah. in the context of bullet hell, it's about the patterns of bullets, and you're not expecting to hit anything kind of yeah, solid, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's a different mindset, yeah. I guess. But it again, is, yeah, yeah. it it's it is that kind of game. It's a, it's a, mm. it's within the genre of shoot 'em ups. It's a, it's an old school shoot 'em up. Yeah, yeah. So last question, the first half. See, you mm. made it. Well done. Got past the mini boss. Here we go. But this is a really, really important question because it shows you don't live in a bubble, which clearly, James, you don't. But what are you playing right now? Ah, good question. Mm. Right. Well, uh, in terms of shoot 'em ups, the yeah. two games that I've played recently, which I enjoyed, I enjoyed Gear Shifters. Okay. Um, which is uh, was released by Numskull, uh, made by a chap called Richard Ogden, I think. Okay. Um, so it's an indie, but you know, proper publisher and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a lefty-righty. It's a lefty-righty, roguelighty, drivey Ooh. game. Okay. So you, yeah, you, you're basically a car. So shock horror, it has inertia. <laughs> um, but yeah, car, you, you, so, you know. yeah, so it kind of makes sense. <laughs> but basically, you, you, you have to dr- drive through various terrains, shoot the enemies. It's got novel controls because, of course, it's a car. So, you know, you there are certain things you do, like enable a skid, and then it turns mm. 180 and you can shoot behind you. But it had a nice progression of power-ups, different weapons. The levels visually change quite a bit, although there are a certain number of fixed character classes. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed playing it. You know, I got a little bit further each time, and that's the trick, really, with a shoot-em-up. You, you, and it's, it's a problem, you know. You want the player to not, you don't want to be so easy that you just breeze through it, but you don't want it to be so hard that the player goes, ah, oh, I give in. This is just too frustrating. Right, you know, it's, right. It's difficult to achieve that balance. But I think the balance is pretty good with gear shifters. There was only a couple of times where I was like throwing a controller down and going, ah. <laughs> Most of the time I was like, I got a little bit further. That's cool. I'm going to have to check that out. What's it it's on? It's good. It it's on, on, it's on pretty much everything. I, I awesome. played it on PS5, but you can nice. get it on Steam or wherever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Wings else? of. Wings yeah. of Blue Star was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a this is another one man indie. Um, made by a really nice chap called Shinu. It's on Steam. I think East Asia Soft have just signed it for a. I, I guess it's all platforms, but certainly Switch release. I think. Right. So, um, but on Steam right now, and that was really cool. Mm. And um, other and this is going to be controversial. I, I mentioned earlier Returnal. Yeah. Um, that is a bullet hell shoot 'em up. And I'm gonna. I'm sure everyone, uh, 
listeners on the line would disagree with me strongly because it's in 3D and you're a character that runs around. No, but I see the projectiles but from the from the enemies or the big bosses. The, yeah. there's, there's a lot of projectiles in mm. it. There's a lot of dodging. Yeah. It has a dash mechanic. So to get through the projectiles, you kind of dash. So it's not so much a maze type thing, but you've got to dash. And actually by the end of it, it doesn't really matter where you shoot as long as you're broadly on target. You just need to stay alive long enough to yeah. um, kill the enemy. It's a little bit about Vanquish like that, isn't it, I guess? Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, what what I will say is I have a lot of, you know, House Marquee in general, their games are always great. Um, but I admire the, um, the purism of releasing a game with that level of difficulty as a AAA title. It is tough. Mm. It is a difficult game. And I and I played it, and you know I was throwing the controller down a couple of times, and I was thinking, do you know what? I think this is probably the first AAA game that I'm going to play with, you know, linear game which has a, a beginning and end, yeah. where I don't think I'm going to finish it. It's just yeah, too difficult. Yeah. I'm not going to make it. I did in the end, yeah. but apparently only 10% of players did. Yes, and that is very unusual. Yeah, very unusual. So That's... I salute their. But you know, they, you know, it's just their compromise. It's their copy. It's their like not copyright, but that's their the standard, isn't it? I mean, if you look at their previous titles, mm-hmm. uh, Next Machina, which is one of my favourite twin stick shooters, yeah. Um, and then there's, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff they've done over the years, and they 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 date back to the Amiga days. They've been doing this like Super Stardust and stuff. They've been doing it for yeah, yeah. so long, so long. So you know, they 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 said, look, we can't do these small like you know arcade games because no one's buying them, which is just awful. Mm-hmm. So they sort of infused that spirit and put it into this. Well, whatever AAA means, but high asset, I call them high asset games. Yeah, there was really. a debate about that whether it's AAA or not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was like, well, they've got a ten million budget or something, yeah, and someone, yeah. no, that's not AAA. And I said, well, yeah, I've got <laughs> zero budget. Yeah, so, you know, I, mean, I think that's. But I mean, it's a beautiful game. It's well yeah. made, and I just, I, you know, and I, I tip my hat in terms of they did not compromise on making a tough no game. No, you know, and and that's really. quite unusual. I've, I've not played even Doom. Yeah, you know, that was a, quite a difficult game, but it was not as difficult as um, as as Returnal. No, yeah. that way. No, and it still makes me chuckle how uh, Doom Eternal was released on the same day as Animal Crossing. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, and they both ID and Nintendo had a bit of a joke about that. And they they did some cross cross uh, crossover marketing, which is quite funny at the time. You can uh, imagine the market segment. <laughs> the market is okay. So Animal Crossing, yeah, Doom, Doom, yeah. There's, to- there's a symbiosis there. If ever there was one. Yeah. Anyway, we got both bases covered. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to the second half of the show. Well, sure. We delve deep into Hyper Five. Thank you. 
So, before we can do that, Jamie, you need to tell us, what is Hyper 5? Aha, well, Hyper 5, I'm describing it as a cinematic shmup. So it's a side-scrolling or lefty-righty or yoko or horizontal shmup. And it is inspired by what I call the classics of the 1990s, but probably late 80s as well. Uh, And it's a great game, but it's not a bullet hell. So if you're like me and you're of a certain generation and you want to play a game like the shoot-em-ups that you used to play when you were, you know, younger, uh, but you want modern graphics, modern sound and some modern mechanics, then I got you covered. Come and check it out. Yeah. Definitely is a pure experience. It's it's unapologetic about it, which is what drew me to to it. Um, because when Thanks. I even saw the silent video of it on on the Twitters, I went, "Ha! Huh, I know where it's going with that." Because I immediately recognised it from some Amiga shooters, which yeah. a lot of them were quite impenetrable and weren't very good, but some mm-hmm. of them were very good, and they really nailed yeah. it. Uh, but that's what I got the same sense of the, 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 the movement, the lighting, the colours, mm-hmm. the contrast colours, um, all very invocative of that era. Uh, whether it was intentional or not, I don't know, but it definitely feels that way. So Thanks. first design question then. And I have to delve into this because it's something that I that struck me as quite obvious and transparent and uh, very at the forefront of the experience is that there seems to be a significant reliance on the upgrading of components of the ship yep. in Hyper 5 in order to make any meaningful progress. Why is that? How have you found balancing that experience and making sure that the player can reach that point in the bell curve to where the game is sort of like balanced against their ability versus the challenge involved? It's a good question, and this is this is a fundamental sort of problem, particularly with shmups, is getting mm. that difficulty curve right. Yeah. And as I alluded to before, you need it so that um, it's not too hard, it's not too easy, and that's a problem. I guess the the other sort of thing I'd note is you know playing some other genres of games, um, the sort of challenge reward mechanic is quite prevalent. You know, you get it in a lot of online games, you know, bloop, 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 you've unlocked a new thing. Mm. Uh, you've completed a challenge of destroying a certain number of enemies. Um, I think obviously shoot 'em ups come from the arcade and it's about getting 25p, 20 quarters or 10 pence pieces in the machine. So you want you to have fun and they want you to die and then they want you to put another 10 pence in. And, you know, obviously, although it's a shoot 'em up, it's made for home consumption. Yeah. So I wanted something where there was pot- potentially, you know, reasons to go back and play a level again. And I, I don't know really, you know, I've actually made a little video on YouTube explaining this because sometimes people are like, it's too hard. You know, I don't get it. And I'm like, just yeah. play the first level a couple more times and you'll unlock some weapons. Look at yeah. the challenges there. You know, if you kill this guy five times, you get homing missiles. That makes it much easier. So it's, I, I've tried to design it so that it rewards replay of the levels. Yeah. So it's like, like I finished level one. I'm never going to play that again. But if you never play level one again, you won't get this weapon or that weapon. Mm. I finished level one. I didn't kill the boss. Yeah, that's fine. That allows you to go to level two. But if you kill the boss, then you're going to get this particular weapon and that's going to make level two a bit easier. Now, whether that's whether I've made that as overt as I should have done, perhaps I should have, you know, I've tried to 
you know, when you die, there's little hints and tips and things like that. Mm. But I've tried to make a game where there is a purpose to playing the levels more than once because it will enable you to progress in the more difficult levels later on, really regardless of skill level. I do believe, you know, um, anyone can finish the game if you play it enough because you will be able to unlock weapons and upgrade those weapons to a point where, you know, you will be very, very powerful. Yeah. The other thing that happens, of course, is, you know, you learn the levels, you learn the attack formations. It's yeah. not a game with sort of randomly generated enemies. Everything is predetermined. Yeah. Um, and some of the levels have splitting and branching. So you can, um, you know, you can take sort of the easy route or the hard route, or if you do one particular route, you can unlock an extra weapon, but it takes a bit longer. So that, you know, I've tried to sort of appeal. Um, but obviously with our type on the spectrum to come full circle, I never got past level four. Because that was way that was way too difficult. And when you die, yeah. you lose all your weapons, right? Yeah. And I loved that game, but it was so yeah. frustrating. Mm. And I, you know, to come full circle, I wanted a game where I felt like the average player, you know, of average skill level could if they if they liked the game, they would be able to finish it. Right. And they would be able to get a powerful ship. And that's what sort of led to this idea of persistent upgrades a challenge-based mechanic where, you know, if you look at the challenges board, you can complete certain tasks. Some people have reacted to that positively. Other people said, oh, it's a bit grindy. And I'm like, well, a lot of games, you know, encourage you to do things multiple times. To, you know, that's how you sort of have a certain amount of longevity in these things. So that was ultimately the decision there. But yeah, you're right. I think a person who has played it through and is familiar with the levels will be able to complete it in arcade mode you will be able to go from level one all the way through mm. um you will have had to unlock some of the weapons so you wouldn't be yeah. able to just play arcade mode and just have bog standard guns and no, bog standard it, rockets it's not possible no but if you've upgraded you know if you have you know your choice of gun if you have the homing mm. missiles i like the home my particular loadout is homing missiles the tornado gun which is the kind of gatling gun yeah and then i like the uh, the nova which is the spinny uh, weapon mm -hmm. and, you, and uh, if you know where certain upgrade drops are then as you play through the easier first levels you will within the game within that arcade mode where you always start from base level power you will upgrade your ship to the point where you can complete level five it can be done definitely yeah. but it's not easy yeah. no and no. one interesting thing is um the the game has these time travel uh, time travel time trial levels mm. as well which play quite differently and again you always start off at a, a base weapon level but you can pick which ones you want and the, the guy who's top of the leaderboard there has a completely different loadout to me he's got <laughs> spread right so and he's and he's beaten me <laughs> right there you go there you go so yeah i, I take that as a, as a compliment i mean yeah. so yeah so i hope that that was a long-winded way of trying it's, to explain no that. it's it's a very i could I could not answer that answer that question because it's so fundamental to Hyper Five experience, the, and it's built a lot around it, and it's fine. I just wanted to is. explain explain it to me. Mm -hmm. Next question: While ostensibly Hyper Five is a two D shooter, kind of, mm -hmm. there are depth of field aspects to yep. it. Can you talk us through how they were developed and incorporated? I think the best example is you're flying along and then you see something in the background on the rock or like a, a like on a cliff face and like, what's that? Oh God, it's heading for me, you know. So talk yeah. us through how that came came to be. So that so obviously. 
back in the day, what you had was 2D games that were pretending to be 3D. Yes. What I have is a, a 3D game that's pretending to be, to 2D. be 2D. <laughs> so <clears throat> the game is fully 3D rendered in a mm-hmm. in, in Unity. Yeah. Um, so everything you see is exists in a 3D environment. Um, obviously, once you do that, then you know you have this notion of the camera moving through a 3D environment, and you have to start placing certainly static enemies like turrets and things at certain mm. locations, you know, physical locations on the map. Otherwise, they just look crazy. Yeah. So, from a technical point of view, what essentially happens is the game has a notion of a, a game plane, and it and the game it basically exists on a flat plane that exists in the 3D world and collisions and, you know, everything is essentially mapped to that plane. Right. So uh, if you see something that's collidable, like a turret, it might be a little bit further away, but it, it, because it is an enemy and it can be shot, it's collision is, is projected onto the plane. Yeah. So, and that's how things that are slightly further away or slightly closer to you can still be shot. If you like within certain limits, obviously if it's miles away, then it, it doesn't, attack you know it doesn't it doesn't do that projection so that's kind of how i achieve a 2d game you know 2d collisions 2d bullet interaction things like that in in a 3d world Mm. now you know i'll be honest with you um some people take to that quite well some people take a little bit of adjustment because they look at that turret that's a little bit further away and go well i that shouldn't be able to shoot me because it's it's too far away Hmm. Um, so I guess, you know, it brings some benefits. I can do fun things like I can have, you know, enemy ships kind of dive in from above you and behind yeah, you and kind yeah. of shoot in and all kinds of cool stuff like that. And when you hmm. blow stuff up and the debris flies apart, it can fly away from the camera and bounce off the terrain, all this good stuff, you know, yeah. but you do have to slightly suspend disbelief in the sense that that turret's smaller than that one. It's further away and yet I can still shoot it what's mm. going on there yeah. so again most people seem comfortable with that once they get used to it a few people have gone i don't get it you know <laughs> you know so but i mean i guess you can't please everyone no no, no 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 it's the way of things so next question there are a lot of different biomes or environments mm-hmm. biomes being the current terms for environments these days within hyper five mm-hmm. um that basically alter the way in which enemies engage with different types of energies engage with the ship. Mm-hmm. Can you talk us through the design of these? Because there's like, you know, I don't want to spoil too much, but there's like a standard lot of like flying across the planet's surface, but then eventually yep. you go into the water and that's yep. awesome because all of a sudden it starts shimmering and everything's sort of, you know, slightly yeah, yeah. magnified and, cause, and distorted because you're underwater. But uh, yeah, and also the enemies are very different depending on where you yep. are so can you talk us through the design and how there's that symbiosis between the creatures you encounter or enemies you encounter versus the environment because that doesn't really happen that often so i mean you know um my the basic concept of the game is such as there is a plot is you're you're a deep space uh, exploration craft yeah you encounter an unknown distress signal and you go to investigate and the idea is you know you can see it in the picture you know deep space uh, scout ship hyper five receives an unknown distress speaking a terrifying enemy awaits yeah and this kind of harkens back to some of the marketing that i saw for some of those early games like r type and gradius where there was this sort of dominant force that you had to defeat you know yeah. but you didn't really know the full extent of the horror now it's not a horror game obviously no but this idea that the more you dive into the game, 
the more terrifying it becomes. And obviously, it's not a terrifying game. You know, it's it's you know, PG thirteen yeah. worse, right? Yeah. But but so I said, well, you know, we're going to start off entering the atmosphere. We're going to fight sort of mechanical enemies. We'll have some slightly more sophisticated mechanical enemies. But once we dive underwater, we can start having more biological enemies. Yeah. Then sort of cybernetics. So the the level three boss is this sort of cybernetic octopus thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're kind of fully biological when we're in the the, the level four, which I won't spoil, but it's also underwater. Yeah. And then when we come back up in level five, we're back over ground, but the world is very different. We're seeing the true kind of corruption created by the enemy, who uh, you know, the final enemy is mechanical. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, you know, again, I, you know, I, I, I wanted the game to have a distinct feel. I wanted every level to feel different. There's no real sort of significant reuse of, of enemies or assets between the levels that the time trial levels do reuse some of the enemies they had a few new ones in but uh, they're viewed from a kind of top-down perspective which makes it look quite different i mean one advantage of 3d is stuff from the top looks different to stuff on the side so you can kind of get a little bonus there yeah um, but yeah you're right i mean I, I intentionally designed it so that you know it was kind of conventional you know, almost sort of, I, I looked at things like Top Gun for inspiration, you know, it's always got that kind of afterburner, Top Gunny kind of thing. Yeah. But then once you dive underwater, it becomes very alien and, yeah. um, you know, sort of, un- it makes you feel uncomfortable. You know, it's like, where are we? Where are we going? So actually for a space game, there's not really very much space in it at all. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Um, so last question. Uh, all good things must come to an end, but here we are. Well, I think it's a good thing. Uh, have you, or so how have you ensured the player is suitably informed of how they're interacting with the environment and the enemies within Hyper 5? So, you know, have they hit them? Uh, have they managed to damage them? If so, by much? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. What have you done to inform the player of their status in the world they're in? I mean, again, it's kind of a throwback to you know, the limits of 80s games, really, you know, mm. where they had very sort of, there wasn't much they could really do with those sprites. They had limited RAM. Yeah. So the technique they used at the time was if it's taking damage, it flashes. <laughs> and, and that's that's what I've done with my game, basically. Yeah, if yeah. it's taking damage, it's flashing white. Um, mm. And, you know, other games like you know, Super Metroid have had a graduation from white to red. But, mm. um, you know, so... The number one thing to look out with, if it's flashing white, it's taking damage. That's that's rule number one. Beyond that, there are some other sort of visual cues like like um, smoke and fire and other sort of particle type effects that, that happen as well. And many of the larger enemies, you know, you can blow little chunks off them and things like that. Um, there is a voiceover. Um, you know, so if, if you're running out of ammo, or you're taking damage, the pilot will pipe up, Hey, I'm taking damage, which you can toggle off if you don't like. Mm. Um, but don't do that because it, my wife did the, the voiceover. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'll get in trouble if you turn it off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, she's not a voice actor, but she was very sporting. So, thanks yeah, yeah, yeah. um, you know, and, um, I, I guess that's sort of the main sort of way, you know, I mean the game, you know, by many shooter standards, it's you know some people said it's kind of slow, but there's still quite a lot going on on the screen at once. Yeah, you know, so I've actually added in a what I call a high visibility mode, which is not really visual assist for people who are visually impaired, but it reduces things like um, particle effects. 
it adds in a little terrain radar. Mm. So if you get too close to the terrain in levels where that's, you know, where you could crash and it, it paints a big kind of flashing little checkerboard saying, hey, you're getting close to the terrain and that gets faster as you get close to the terrain. So okay. I tried to provide visual feedback where I can. Mm. But on the other hand, coming full circle, I like explosions. I like stuff flying everywhere. Right. Uh, you know, and if you play my game, there are a lot of explosions in it. Let's face it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You blow stuff up. Sometimes you can't see what you're doing because there's stuff flying everywhere. Yeah, and yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. but that's that's the way I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hyper 5, which is developed by Hyper Productions. I'm not going to ask where you get a name from because kind of like there's a symbiosis there. James. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and uh, what, is it, what is it running on? What's it, what's it running on, this uh, Hyper 5? Uh, so, I mean, it's released on Steam and Itch. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. So, obviously, you can play it on a, a PC is, is the platform. I would like to get it onto consoles. Yeah. Um, I have been approached by a couple of um, publishers. Right. But um, my game exists in a slightly uncomfortable niche in that it requires – it doesn't need a state-of-the-art PC by any means. It will run on, you know um, – I've had people running it on a 950 mobile. Right. Um I've made some tweaks where you can toggle off um, some of the volumetric effects like cloud effects and some of the, they're not ray tracing, but they're ray marching type effects. Right. Um, so it will, it will probably run on, you know, a relatively old gaming PC, mm -hmm. but a relatively old gaming PC is still more powerful than a switch, for example. Yeah. Um, and switch is the kind of dominant, um shoot 'em up platform that's mm -hmm. you know shoot 'em up fans they buy switch and uh i'd love to get it onto switch but i've struggled to get the thing down to three gigabytes of vram up <laughs> on the PC. Right. squeezing it down to one gig on a switch that's going to be a challenge mm -hmm. so i'm in this i'd love to get it onto console i have had some interest but the problem is is that just because not necessarily because the game is super complex or anything inherently but just because of the you know the the graphical techniques I've used. It's a fully three D rendered world. It just makes it harder to to reach um, that level of hardware. Uh, so who knows? Maybe in the future. Mm. That said, you know if I can get someone interested for a PlayStation Five port, mm. it'll scale up to four K high dynamic range and it'll look beautiful. I guarantee yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did play uh, did play Hyper Five on my using my Steam Link box. Remember those? Um, so oh, I, yeah. I managed to, to 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 stream it onto my large telly in my living room rather than cool. rather than my small. So that was it's was very spectacular. So excellent. Uh, yes, I much prefer playing games like this on a large screen. Uh, yeah, yeah. You get more. So I've got I've got I had very large explosions in my living room. Thanks to Splendid. Hyper Five. So thank you, um, <laughs> Jamie. It's been fantastic having you on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, you're more than welcome to come back to talk about uh, whatever next you've got cooking uh, under that hood. But in the meantime, thank you very much. Thank you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, canermids.com.